you're going to make me cry, and I don't want to do that. And some of you who have never been here, you're like, who's the guy, and why is he going to cry? Um, just overwhelming uh, to be here. And um, overwhelmed by your, your love and your, your graciousness. Uh, over the last couple weeks, your notes to us and texts and... I won't, I promise, I'm good. Um, you, you all have just been so kind, and uh, it's just been a bizarre story for us, and I know for some of you as well. And um, Bill, thank you uh, for those kind words, and um, I, I had a friend who told me recently, if, if, if God does laugh, it's probably when we tell him what our plans are. You know, because he sees things that we never, we never get to see. Um, I want to tell you a little bit of our story. I want to share a little bit of our heart with you this morning, if that's okay. Um, but I want to preface it with this, that, that it's really, even though I'm going to tell some of our story, and it'll take me some time to get there, um, it's, it's really not a story about us. It's, it's a story about God's grace and his love and his redemption and the hope that we have in him. And I think I've told you this before, if we miss Jesus in this story, we miss everything because he's the point of the story. Uh, I think our stories are, are, are important but only as they, as they point and guide other people uh, towards him and towards the hope and the love and the grace and the mercy that is found in Christ alone. Um, it's going to take me a little bit to get to the story, but you guys are used to that um, with me. Um, to get there, I want to tell you a story from Scripture. And I've been finding myself looking at Scripture in two different ways. And maybe this will be helpful for you as well, just to look at Scripture this way. One way I look at Scripture is as a window. It's like, it's like a, um, a, a peak. We get a, we get a glance. So you look through the window and you see stories of God's activity in the world uh, that we live in. So stories from history. And we get pictures of, of, of God's movement. Uh, at times we get pictures of, of, of God's anger. Uh, we get pictures of people like us, uh, humans who are broken. And we get pictures of how God works in their lives. And so when we read scripture, um, we're getting a glimpse of God, which is beautiful. But you know, when, when you look at a mirror in the right, or a window in the right way, it becomes a mirror. I've seen many of you women, when you get out of the car and you close the door, you kind of walk around the window a certain angle so you can see, and some of you guys as well are guilty. Uh, windows often become mirrors. And I think I've begun to see God's word not just as a window, to see stories from the past, um, but as a mirror to see myself, to see us, and to see the activity of God, of God all around us. And as we've been walking through this story, this journey for us, um, there's a story that just keeps coming up in my mind. It's a scene, and it's a story, many of you know this guy, his name's David, he's in the Old Testament. There's a lot of ways that I don't feel I relate to David at all. Um, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And it scares me to say anything like that. So there, there are a lot of pieces that I just, I don't know that I connect with David. I, I want that, but I know myself. And so it's hard for me to, you know, to go there. 
Um, David, interesting character, just some backstory before we get to the story. Um, David was one of eight. His dad's name was Jesse. And uh, David was uh, brought up in, in Israel in the early days of Israel. And um, Saul was the king, but Saul had turned away and walked away from God. And so God decided it was time to anoint a new king, right? And he sends uh, Samuel to Jesse's house, and he said, this is the household where the next king will come from. Um, David's out in the fields, right? And there's the seven brothers minus David, and goes through each one of them. None of them. You know, Samuel's like, no, these, these aren't them. Are you sure you don't have any other sons? And he's like, well, yeah, there's David, right? And David comes in, and this is the one, David. And he anoints him. Um, he anoints David as king, even though David will not be king for years upon years. Uh, we know these stories of David. David and, um, what's the giant's name? You guys remember that? David and um, Goliath. Yeah, that's his name. Just want to make sure you're with me. David and Goliath. And this unbelievable story of this little man and this giant, and God helps him overcome the giant. There's this story of David. He's, he's hiding from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. And uh, he's, he's in this cave, and Saul shows up in this cave, and he has this opportunity to kill his enemy. But he chooses not to. He cuts a piece of his cloak off, and he's patient. He's kind. He doesn't want to hurt who God has placed in power. He just kind of sits back. A lot of pieces of this story, I just, I, I read and it's amazing to hear, you know, it's, it's like a window. You, you see God's activity in David's life, but then there's a piece of the story that begins to be a bit of a, a mirror for me. And here's how this, this, this scene in David's life begins. In the spring of the year, when kings usually went off to war, David didn't. In the spring of the year, when, when the kings usually went off to war, kind of an interesting thing, like did they plan their wars out, you know, so they knew when they were going to go to war? And I think it's just this picture of the, the kings would, would, you know, after the wintertime in the spring, they would go out and make sure all the lands were good and make sure they had the right uh, boundary markers. And if they wanted to take over new lands, that's just the, the, the times the kings would go out to war. Um, but David didn't, which is an interesting little phrase. He stayed back. What David was supposed to be focused on, he wasn't. What David had been appointed to do, he didn't do. And so the story goes on and it says, one afternoon David was on the rooftop and he was overlooking the city and he sees a woman and her name is Bathsheba. Some of you went to Sunday school too, that's good. Bathsheba. And he's overcome with her beauty. Do you remember this story? Overcome with her beauty. And he can't think of anything else. And his mind is fixated on Bathsheba. And so he sends his men to go find out who this woman is, this beautiful woman that he can't get out of his mind. Um, that's mine and Robin's story, right? Uh, no. Anyway, just trying to get bonus credit or something. Um, the men come back and they're like, that's Uriah's wife. 
Uriah, just some, some backstory to him, he had been one of David's men for years and years. He was like a friend of David. But for David, he was captured by this beautiful woman. And he tells his men to bring her to him. He begins to set all, all other things aside. When he was supposed to be focused on what God, God called him to do, he just sets all those things aside. He's distracted, and he pursues the thing that he thinks he wants, the thing that he thinks will bring him happiness. And I would suggest that Bathsheba became an idol to David. Now, the rest of the story is it's just an ugly picture of what sin does to us as humans. Um, she becomes pregnant, and David wants to cover this up, so he, he invites his friend back from war. He's out at, actually at war doing what he's supposed to be doing. He invites him back to try to trick him into doing some things so that he thinks it's his son or daughter who's born, and um, that doesn't work, so he puts Uriah on the front lines, and he's killed. David murders his friend to cover up the idol that was in his own heart. Idols have a way of distracting us from what God has for us. They, they take our, our eyes from, from the sphere that God's given us. Um, idols aren't evil in and of themselves. Bathsheba wasn't evil. It's what Bathsheba did inside of David's own heart. It was David's condition that led him to this idol worship. Um, I, I love Timothy Keller. Um, he, he wrote this incredible book I read a couple years ago, um, Counterfeit Gods. And I think he explains and describes idols in a way that, that makes so much sense to me. And he says this, God was saying, uh, he's talking about a passage of scripture in Ezekiel. He says, God was saying that the human heart takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Uh, he, he was saying, Keller was saying, that, that what the heart has the tendency to do, the human heart, is to take these things in life, things that we think are going to bring us happiness, and the heart has a way of transforming them into what it thinks is the ultimate thing, the thing that will bring happiness and fulfillment and hope and peace. He goes on to say, our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance, they can give us security, they can give us safety, and they can give us fulfillment. Um, just a side note, men, I think this is one of our greatest challenges in life. I think we struggle with this. I think women do too, but I think men, we struggle with with this idea of idols, successful careers, material things, all these different pieces. And I would encourage you, if you've never read this book from Keller, um, Counterfeit Gods, it's a great one to move us along in the journey of life. Um, David found himself face to face with an idol that he had set up in his own heart that had distracted him from what God had called him to do. Two years ago, um, Robin and I uh, made a, a difficult decision to, to leave McDowell and, um, and pursue 
kind of a, a different path. And um, Crossings in, in Oklahoma City, the church where I currently serve, uh, is an incredible church. And it's a sacred place for us. It really is. It's a sacred place. It's the place where, where I first felt and understood my calling to ministry. Uh, Marty, one of the pastors there, um, was a mentor to me and has meant so much to me. So Crossings is the sacred place to us. And when the opportunity to, to, to return kind of popped up, it was one in which um, we, we felt like we should pursue uh, when we returned two years ago, we kind of slipped back in. A lot of the staff was the same at the church and so many people there. And it, it in some ways felt like home, but there was something within both me and Robin that was just out of sync. I mean, I, I can't explain exactly what it was. It was just out of sync and, and I couldn't describe it. I, I tried to talk to friends and mentors and explain what we were wrestling with, but there was just there was really no way to understand what was going on within us. And you know what we usually do when we're out of sync? We begin to look where? There must be something wrong with you all, right? <laughs> there must be something wrong out here. It can't be in here. And um, we did that. And then slowly we turned inward and began to ask the question, did we do something? Is something going on within our hearts, our spirits, our minds that has sidetracked us from God's call? And um, it's, it's quite humbling to look into a mirror and realize that something so good became an idol. It's difficult to, to stare into your own heart and realize your own brokenness and your sin and the ways that you have, have turned away from God, how, how you've placed some things there that just have distracted you from who you were called to be. And so for both Robin and me, we pursued this separately and then we came together and it was unbelievable how both of us felt like crossings became an idol to us. It became a sort of distraction and it wasn't crossings that did this, it was us. It was our own sin, it was our own heart, it was our own mind that caused us to turn away from God and his rightful place within our lives. And so we spent um, a few months uh, crying, which you all will think is probably you know, not out of the nor norm for me. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's this, this word in scripture um, called repentance. And it literally means just to turn around, to turn back to God. And so we've spent months just the, to the best of our ability just turning back to God and saying, God, we want to pursue you above all else. And we have, we have sinned. We 
have set up an idol within us, and we want to rid ourselves of that. Um, a question you might have is, was something going wrong at crossings? There, there wasn't anything going wrong. In fact, from outward appearances, everybody would think it's, it's all good. There's things in place, very comfortable. All, all of that was there, but um, we just knew that there was something out of sync. There was an idol that we had set up. So um, we told mentors and friends, uh, I, I told Marty, my boss, I, I said, I, I just need you to know this is going on within me, and I feel as though this has become an idol, and so I'm going to do the difficult thing and, and try to rid myself of this. Um, we spent some time pursuing some other conversations with other churches, and just nothing felt like it was the right thing. Um, and then, one day, just a few weeks ago, Bill called me just to kind of give me an update on what was going on, um, bring me up to speed. Uh, we hadn't talked for quite a bit of time, and um, he, he just wanted me to, know, to be aware just in case I had any questions. Or, and um, he kind of made an offhanded comment uh, that day. He said, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting season for us, and we're probably going to just hit pause for a while. And he said, you know, unless you want to consider coming back. And he kind of chuckled and kept talking. And I, I said, would you hit rewind just for a second? And he had no idea what was going on within us. And um, it's been an incredible conversation. Uh, I called one of my best friends, and I asked him this question. I said, I said, could God really redeem a story like this? And um, he said to me, in only the way that he can, he said to me, he said, well, let's make a list of everything that God can't redeem. And you start. <laughs> and there's just silence. Okay. Um, what do you do when you come face to face with your sin, your idols? Um, David wrote this. It's, it's found in, in Psalm chapter, chapter 51, disconnected from the story. Um, but historians and scholars tell us that, that he wrote this out of his, his time with Bathsheba. Uh, he, he begins, I don't have this on the screen, but he begins by saying, God, if you want sacrifices, I'll do that. You know, I'll write a check. I'll give money. You know, I, I, I'll do any of that. And then he comes to this place where he says, God, but I, what I really need is I need you to create in me a clean heart. I, I can't do that on my own. And I need you to renew a right spirit within me. It was, it was a picture of David repenting, turning back to God, and leaning into the grace of God. Now, this is the story of Jesus. I mean, this is what the gospel, the good news, is all about. It, it's about finding this, this right standing, this, this forgiveness, this redemption, this hope in, in God through Christ, through what Christ did. That's the story of the gospel, and it's the story that we all need. This is why it's called the good news, because God can redeem and restore something that we can't fix on our own. And then this last line that I, that I wrote, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David's, David's cry was not about finding joy in his circumstances. I mean, I'm sure that's good. 
and right and all that. But, but his, the, the cry of his heart was for God to restore joy in his life through his salvation. And um, that's where we find ourselves. It's saying, God, we can't put the pieces back together. We can't fix it. If you want to redeem and restore and rewrite this story, we are open. We have open hands to whatever you would want to do in us. And so here we are. Um, I think the board, I felt like it would be good just for us to share our story, where we are, and um, humbly stand before you. And I want you to know how much we love this church, how much we love you. We've watched from a distance. We've prayed for you. And um, I would love to be your pastor again one of these days. Um, The, the whole voting thing is, is, is weird. I think I told you that like eight years ago when I came the first time. Like I preach and then they vote. That's kind of weird. And I thought it'd be better if Robin sang and then you vote, right? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I want to close with this. And I think we're, are we singing? We're going to sing another song, I think. But I want to close just with a prayer. Um, but I don't want you to close your eyes. I, I want you to, to keep your eyes open. It's, it's a prayer from Scripture. And um, it's become, at some, some level, the, the, my, my prayer. Um, I've begun this routine in the mornings, and I think it's so helpful for me to clean out what's in here. Um, it's, it's from the Psalms, and it, it begins simply like this. Um, God, if you're my shepherd, I have everything I need. God, if you're my shepherd, I have everything I need. I don't need success in work or material things or some sort of human love or family or whatever it is I've replaced you with. If you're my shepherd, I have everything I need. You, you make me lie down in green pastures where I can be well fed. At moments in life, you lead me beside the still waters. God, when you're my shepherd, you restore my soul. You show me the ways of righteousness, not for me, but for your name's sake. And even when I walk through the valley of darkness and death, if it's a death of a dream or a job or a hope, even if it's the death of a relationship, I will fear no evil. Not because I know where I'm going, but because you're with me. Not because I know the destination, but because I know you're here. And God, your rod and your staff, I don't really understand what that is, but they comfort me. They give me hope and they give me peace. God, you even, at times, prepare this banquet, this feast before me. And those who I thought were enemies that are around, they even have the opportunity to join in on this feast. You invite them in. You, God, anoint our heads with oil, and eventually our cup begins to overflow because you're so good. You're a good, good father. Surely goodness and God's mercy will follow us. 
all the days of our lives. And one day, into eternity, we'll rest forever. He's a good, good father, isn't he? God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy when we need it most. In Jesus' name we pray.